Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind What's up, Internet? Thank you again for tuning into your new favorite podcast, Stuff That's Real That You Didn't Know Was Real But Also Is Cool, with, as always, your loving and gracious hosts, Kevin J. Tumlinson. J. Kevin Tumlinson? Kevin Tumlinson, J. J. Kevin. J. Kevin Tumlinson. And Nick Thacker. Although I'm thinking of flipping it. You should flip it. I may flip it, just because Kevin J. Anderson gets a lot of play. It seems to work for him. Kevin J. Tomlinson. That's why I keep thinking it's Kevin J. Because I know Kevin J. Anderson. He's a friend of mine. Well, they mix this up all the time. Regardless of where the J falls, this week we've got a great story for you. Two great stories, actually. Mine's definitely better, so I'm going to let Kevin go first. No, I'm just kidding. I did not know until right now what he was going to talk about. And so I'm excited to hear. I think if you're cool with it, I want you to go first. You can just roll us into... Uh, well, I won't give it away. I'll let you... I'm sure you've prepared yeah, no. a long-winded intro to this, uh, to this thing. <laughs> from you it's always very possible so as you know and some of the listeners may know so my wife Karen and i have been traveling the u.s for a few months now in in our travel van Uh, if you were seeing video right now you'd be seeing me in the front seat of our of our van it's turned around but i'm i'm talking to uh, the camera and my backdrop is like a seatbelt and that sort of thing so but currently we're in portland maine and we're off the bay. Like, I can look out the side of the van right now and see sailboats and, and things like that. And it's just gorgeous up here. And unlike back in Texas, it's like in the 70s and maybe low 80s instead of like 108. So that explains most of why we're here. But on our way to this place from the last location we were in, we were in Plymouth, which we talked about in the last episode. And we routed our way through Boston. And so I wanted to find some things that were interesting about Boston. There's a lot of history in Boston, but I wanted to, when it's, if it's going to be on the stuff that's real podcast, it's got to hit that special note, right? So I did a little digging and found of all things, a connection with something in Boston with the author HP Lovecraft, that I think is very interesting. Let's just jump right into it. So HP Lovecraft in 1927, he released a horror story called Pickman's Model, in, it, in which a sinister painter named Charles Pickman brings one of his fans to his North End Boston basement studio. So uh, the North End of Boston is kind of a famous area. So this painter brings a fan of his artwork down in the studio, and uh, there's an old well in the middle of the basement studio. 
And that connects to a network of tunnels. So because it's Lovecraft, you know, things go very horribly wrong for the fan uh, in this story. And all sorts of, you know, unspeakable horrors are manifest in those tunnels. So that was one of Lovecraft's uh, famous stories. What was cool is Lovecraft uh, had a habit of basing his work, like us, on real-world stuff. Stuff that was real, but also cool. So he had actually uncovered the idea of a network of tunnels in Boston's North End. And those were a very real thing. So the part of the story that I'm really interested in, and Nick's going to share the link to the one I'm referencing, but there's a house that was purchased in the 19th century, and some workmen discovered it was 453 Commerce Street was the house. Now, the house is no longer there, unfortunately, but when they started kind of working in the basement and everything, they discovered that it contained a large stone arch in the uh, cellar. Now, I got to tell you, I bought a house and I went down into the basement or the cellar and discovered a huge stone arch. I would lose my mind, uh, but I would also be knee deep in that thing in like 10 minutes. So whatever. Yeah, horrors I mean, all the flashlights and batteries in the house, everything goes <laughs> in a panty pack. I'm going directly into that tunnel, 100%. Like, pack me some sandwiches, Kara. I'm going into the tunnel. Yeah, I would totally be exploring this. Probably eaten by some Lovecraftian horror along the way but this tunnel didn't lead to large tentacled monsters per se but what it did lead to was a bit of hidden history for boston so as it turns out the original builder of that home was named thomas grutchy and i'm just taking a, a stab at how that name is pronounced but thomas grutchy and it turns out he was a privateer in the early 1700s and a privateer is basically a pirate paid by the governments to do his pirating, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's his actual job to rob people. So in the early 1700s, he was raiding a sailing ship from the Spanish colonies back in Europe. So he was bringing his plunder to the Americas and to his home in Boston. But what was happening was the British were in control at that point, and there were huge, as you may have heard, uh, the British were heavily taxing everything in the Americas and so in the colonies. And so Thomas Gretchen, an enterprising privateer who had no real trouble with ethical and legal flexibility, decided to build a tunnel from a secret harbor to his basement, essentially. And so he could bypass the British with all of his wares without paying any tariffs or taxes. And then that way he could go and sell that stuff. And he became tremendously wealthy off of this ill-gotten uh, booty. So the guy was famous for like throwing these huge parties and inviting all the, the movers and shakers. Probably not the British, but you never know. Nobody was allowed into his basement, I'm sure. But he lived it up. And then suddenly, uh, and now he acquired that, that magic away in the 1745. But then in, at some point, all the parties and everything stopped, and Thomas Gretchen just disappeared, never to be heard from again. So now you can start drawing all kinds of conclusions about what that means. But the mansion did stand pretty empty until you know for a good hundred years or so. Most people think that what happened was he got caught, and possibly not by the British, but by someone he swindled or someone he uh, he had a lot of debt. We'll say. 
So some people think that either he was taken out and possibly he's even buried in these fancy tunnels of his or somewhere out to sea, or after he got caught, he hightailed it out of there and went and lived somewhere else entirely. So there's no way to know. We just know that he disappeared off the face of the earth, leaving behind one of what turns out to be a huge, vast network of tunnels in the north end of Boston. So some of these, by the way, were uncovered during the big dig, which you might have heard about when they were sort of going through redoing all the Boston roadways and stuff uh, in downtown Boston. They dug a huge pit in the middle of the city. So apparently in Chicago, uh, there is an entire underground version of Chicago. The old town of Chicago is buried and there's nothing but tunnels. You can actually tour it. They found stuff kind of like that in Boston as well. So these tunnels were very popular. I think Gretchen was uh, not the only person who stumbled onto the idea of bypassing the British uh, with their wear. So yeah, that's so my stuff that's where true. The, um, <laughs> they, so it was what you know, like his cellar connected to other cellars, right? It was kind of this vast. Eventually, yeah, yeah. So they don't think it started that way, but I think it was one of those things where the idea caught on. And so people started imitating it. And Hey, why not network them all together? And that way we can all benefit. So much like in Europe where fortifications, castles and things like that would have secret tunnels that would allow royalty to exit the building, basically exit the entire town. You know, some people had these things in as their escape hatch. So during the uh, Revolutionary War, for example, people may have escaped into the harbor from their homes and, and be able to get away as buildings burned, as you know, British soldiers, or at the, depending on what side you were on, American soldiers were raiding homes and uh, taking what they needed or whatever. So tunnels are fascinating to me. And we've talked about tunnels a few times now, tunnels and caverns. And uh, yeah. so this kind of thing really sparks a whole bunch of ideas for me. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I've mentioned before on this show that every book that I write tends to have a cave in it. Um, I get yeah. to the end where I'm like, well, I need something that these guys can hide in that also reveals some magical place at the end. Of, oh, I'm going to make a cave. I'm going to put yeah. a cave right here in the middle of this otherwise flat, uncaved terrain. <laughs> right. Um, this definitely scratches that itch for me. I want to go back to Boston now. And do I did the uh, Freedom Line or something like that, where it's literal line drawn in the ground. And I got to see the old North End Church where this Thomas Gucci guy was a member, believed to be a member. Just all kinds of history. I just love that stuff. But again, I was on the upside of the ground, not underground. I would a lot go and tour the the secret stuff that I know they're hiding from me when I go to Boston. So tunnels play a big role in almost every book I write. It's funny. It's like you. I, they're my cave. That's where everybody, it's always mercenaries in tunnels. That could be the title of every book I write. Um, <laughs> but I did write about the Devil's Interval. One of the things that was kind of cool about that story was the idea that Isaac Newton had an, a secret underground lab that he'd been running that had a tunnel that connected to like the British Museum to Newton's home. So the lab was sort of in between the two. So he could actually move from one to the other. That's not entirely fiction because there were actually tunnels like that discovered, especially under all those big public buildings, like the library and museums and things like that. And a lot of those were for rich patrons to visit those things after hours so mm -hmm. that they weren't part of the 
the commoners. <laughs> right, right. That makes sense. No, fascinating stuff. I think I'm going to have to steal this one from you and, and turn it into a book or something. Or, you know, I love to have these historically accurate vignettes, if you will, and kind of use them as backstory. This is really interesting <laughs> as a segue, Kevin, because you touched on something and you didn't say it explicitly, but I know you and I agree with this. That makes my story even more prudent today because of what you talked about. And, and what you said was that like in cities like Chicago, Boston, you know, I know we San Francisco, we've talked about before with the subway that they just, or the ship that they found underground when they were cutting the subway, yeah. it's got, you know, covered up by silt and dirt over the years and became the ground. And so the fact that these 200, maybe 300 ish year old cities are, are like, you know, all of a sudden we discover there's a whole other city underneath underground that we just didn't know about. You know, we just have no idea. That's only 200 years of history there. Most archaeologists who buy into the appropriate academic beliefs system, I will say, vehemently deny that there's anything prior to two to three to 4,000 years ago in in human history that we don't know about. So anyway, uh, to make a segue longer and more uh, boring, most of us have just sort of agreed that it's not real, that it's a myth. You know, it's something that we never knew about. And I'm going to link to an article that is, to be fair, not a scholarly article. It's just written by a guest author who I think has done some pretty good research. Uh, So I'll just leave it there. But I've also written about this at length in numerous books of mine. And the reason I'm talking about this today is I don't think Atlantis is is a myth. What I mean is I don't think that there is absolutely no truth to Plato's original tale of Atlantis that he wrote about in Timaeus and Critias. The reason I don't think that is, I think what Plato has done is exactly what Homer did in the Iliad. It mentioned this in the article, where Homer wrote the Iliad, which is fiction. It's a a long poem made up. You know, there's a story that he's trying to tell. Uh, But of course, there are real characters in there and stuff. And Troy, the city of Troy, is one of those things that he uses in the Iliad. Um, And we all know that story, right? Because we've seen the, the amazing cinematic masterpiece that is Troy. We know about the Trojan horse story and all that. Well, now we also know that the city of Troy was in fact real. We found it. There's an archaeologist who dug and found the city. So we're like, wow, okay, this story isn't actually complete fiction. I believe Plato did the same thing when he wrote about Atlantis. You know, and I don't want to get into the original text, but he essentially is using the story of Atlantis as a cautionary tale, right? Excessive hubris leads to the downfall of these people. That is probably a fictionalized attempt at teaching us a lesson because Plato's a philosopher. But I believe that he used a real city. And this is why uh, I linked to this particular article, because this guy does an incredible job of explaining geographically and archaeologically how this could have existed. Yeah. The reason I I wanted to send you the link was he's got some uh, drawings in here where he's actually mapped out the current existing islands in um, the Aegean Sea next to Greece, right? So Paros, Syros, Delos, Mykonos, Tynos, like all these islands are there now. Santorini yeah. is a very popular one. That's the pictures you see of the blue houses or the white houses with blue roofs all the way up on the, the terraced, you know, uh, cliffs. That's Santorini, the island of Santorini. It was surrounded by a, a circular volcanic remnant. Uh, and then off the coast of that, there's a smaller volcano. And so he's got a picture here, if you scroll down to this through this article, where he essentially takes Plato's description of Atlantis and uh, superimposes it on these islands in this island chain. And you can see that if the water level was, say, 400 feet lower, this whole Cyclades Plateau, is what it's called, would be above the water. And it would form 
pretty accurately the geographic outline of Atlantis, what Plato's told us was Atlantis. Um, so yeah. an example of that is he says, the northern region of the island, this is from Plato, the northern region of the island is made of mountains that reach the shores. Below the mountainous region, there is an oblong valley. The central valley is two-thirds the size of the oblong valley surrounded by low-rise mountains. Okay, it seems to me that Plato wouldn't need to describe so accurately a mythical island, right? He could just say, hey, there was an yeah. island and sunk, right? But the fact that he's doing so and giving us, you know, actual measurements, approximately nine kilometers from the primary island, there's a circular island, and this is what I was describing as Santorini. That contains another small island within it. Anyway, I wrote this back into my book, The Minoan Manifest, a little bit in the uh, Aryan agenda. I just can't not buy it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I, yeah. I have to believe this is probably what Plato was referring to. I don't think they probably had flying cars and jetpacks, and they were, you know, super exalted civilization of knowledge. But I do think that there, there were people on the island of Crete, which is just south of this thing, for a long time, 10,000 years or whatever. We know that. I kind of think that this was real, man. I kind of think that Atlantis is this island chain. It's sunk yeah. beneath the waves. And this author makes a good point that over in the Americas, there used to be this huge lake, even bigger than all of the Great Lakes combined. And that flooded. That like broke. Essentially, the dam broke and flooded yeah. everything. Eventually, causing, since that's fresh water, you know, it would have caused the ocean waters around the world to rise. So I think there's a case to be made that the Black Sea flooded, broke into the Aegean Sea, that filled up, all that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on all this, man? Have you come across this before? Have you seen this? I, not this specifically, but the sort of general consensus has always been that that was the region in which, if there really was an Atlantis, that's where it would be. But this makes a lot of sense to me because the thing, the sort of unique identifier for Atlantis was always the island within a ring kind of thing. And when right. you see like artist renderings and three renderings and things like that, that's the thing they sort of zero in on, but they always make it look like it was a man-made futuristic exactly. uh, yeah. thing. But it makes a lot of sense to me that it would be Santorini. You know, that's not even the only island like that in that region. I wrote about this, by the way, something very similar to this in Atlantis Riddle, putting it sort of, I located it sort of, close-ish to Sri Lanka, but oh, it was yeah. the same sort of thing. And I tied that into the flooding uh, happened because of um, tectonic activity in Japan causing tsunamis that wiped that out because we actually saw that happen on Sri Lanka. That might explain how something like that happens, but I think I like this explanation better that because if you read Fingerprints of the Gods, and I, or maybe it was Magicians of the God, whatever, one of those Graham Hancock books. He talks about how he toured the Badlands and all that in the U.S., and they were talking about how a lot of that stuff was formed by a rush of water. Like, forever, they thought it was a meteor hit, uh, Antar or hit the Arctic and caused ice to melt, and it rushed into that region, carving out canyons or whatever. But he postulated something more like what you were saying. There was a sort of natural dam. As the planet warmed naturally, the water started increasing it from runoff and melt off from the icebergs, and it broke that, created the badlands, seeped into the oceans, and all the oceans rose. That's what he thinks is responsible for the story of the, the biblical flood. Yeah, well, he actually talks about it being a common impact, so similar to the meteorite. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and he goes in the Badlands with his, this is in Magicians of the Gods, by the way. Yeah. And he goes with his buddy and they look at this region and he's like, look, 
I'm no geologist, but um, any geologist worth their salt would look at this area and say, this didn't happen over time. This was very quick, you know, in a geologic scale. Thing, yeah. It was sudden in that, you know, further uh, pushes forward the theory that, that a comet impact caused that alone. That's melt. That's ice, right? It would have melted on impact causing a huge surge of water, pushing, breaking all these little, you know, quote unquote dams, uh, natural dams that just caused this badlands area to completely erupt and, turn into this he, he's got a picture of the the region uh there was a waterfall that was like 50 times the size of niagara falls or something like that right yeah. back, back when it was there of course it's all dried now well that water eventually drained to the sea and this was i think in oregon or something and, and it would have drained into the pacific ocean there was so much of it that it would have raised it would have either melted other water around the world um, or around that you know icy area and then the water alone from all that would have caused the sea levels to rise and thus, we get flood myths from all these civilizations. And if yeah. we want to pinpoint it, this stuff happened 9,600 years before Plato wrote about it. Um, and so to me, it's just like, wow, all these things, they line up enough that it's more than coincidental to me. But it's also it's rife for the, the conspiracy theorists to pick through it and say, well, then, you know, this is why aliens visited. And there's so much that we don't know with this story that it's perfect for fiction writers like you and me. Uh, but there's so much that we do know about all these different pieces that I'm like, hey, I don't have to try too hard to weave a tapestry of fi- of nonfiction here. I think this really happened. And I think this was the group of people that Plato called the Atlanteans. And this is what happened to them. Now, we know the natural disasters and all that. Um, he calls it hubris leading to that. But the point is, I think this is real stuff, man. I think this is stuff that's real that people don't really stop twice to think might be real. That should be the new name of the podcast. Stuff that's real that people don't <laughs> twice to think is real yeah. also is cool. Can we, can we change the name? We're not changing the name. It's <laughs> taken me this long to even get the first half of it right. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> We're listening to Stuff, the podcast. Stuff, the podcast. <laughs> so so it, it, it's yeah. fascinating stuff here, man. But I used the segue early on to get into this, but I still think it's true that, man, we don't even know what happened in Boston 200 years ago. We didn't even know there was a city under Chicago, right? We didn't even know there's a boat. In San Francisco Harbor, that got covered by silt and became a subway <laughs> hole. Yeah. You know, so why I mean, do you think you know what happened ten thousand years ago? Exactly right. And the deeper we dig, and the more we search, the more questions come up. And so to say the science is settled on something like that is patently ridiculous. We're nowhere near settling anything on that topic. You know, just sort of in our own backyard-ish. You know, Galveston, the Galveston Island. So if you go to Moody Gardens in that area over in Galveston, there's the Moody Mansion, right? There's a fence around the Moody Mansion that is only like three feet tall, and but it looks grand, right? So it's got, you know, stone columns and iron archways and things like that. That fence is actually like nine foot tall, but it's buried up to that point in like silt settlement. And the whole island uh, rose, basically, and they built around it. So... If you were to start excavating there, that entire area is a good six to seven foot shallower, I guess, than it is supposed to be. So that is a recent thing, uh, historically speaking. Like that was 1890 when that happened, right? So there are things that have happened within our own history that we may not even realize are there. So, yeah, yeah you're right. Claiming yeah. we know what's settled on Atlantis is ridiculous. And we know our building materials don't last forever. You know, they do pretty well, but we know for a fact that things crumble, things break, things fall off, wood rots. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why 
we wouldn't necessarily see construction from way back when, especially if they were using all wood or, you know, all organic materials and that kind of stuff in their construction. Um, like at Angkor Wat, you know, it's, it, there wouldn't be giant stone temples and stuff that would last for millennia if they didn't have enough stone to use on these islands to build their stuff. So I think there's a case to be made that a lot of this, we should start looking under the ocean surface to find some of the answers here. And, and of course, you know, dumping more money into real archaeology, answering the questions, who came before us and how long ago were they there? Because I don't think I've yeah. heard a pretty compelling reason why humans have only been building cool stuff for about 2,000 years. <laughs> right. I've mentioned this quote before, but, you know, Graham Hancock's whole thing about stuff just keeps getting older. The further back we go, the deeper we go and the, the more we dig, the older history becomes. It, it does really lend itself to the idea that there is a history we don't know that has been hidden for millennia. It kind of begs the question, like, how often did we start over? Yeah. <laughs> and is, and is it going to happen again? Because, frankly, we're like one good meteor strike away from being in the Stone Age again. Yep. Or, you know, one good nuclear strike, you know, so we could be the instrument of our own destruction or nature itself could come against us. So this may have happened many times before. And Plato's argument about hubris getting the best of us might actually play out to be true again. It might have some merit. Yeah. If there's someone out there who's got some compelling or differing arguments, even I want to hear them. I love any of this Atlantis stuff, all the myth, all the legend. I just think it's super cool. And uh, again, I am saying on the record, I think this is real. I think it was based in, at least based in fact. I think there were people there and floating around and all that. Uh, that makes it a good story to be passed down through time. You heard it here. There's some crazy weird tunnels under Boston. So if you're ever in Boston, go start knocking on doors and see if you can tour some old people. You can uh, tour them. They have tours of some of them. There you go. Go check it out if you're there. And of course, if you are, are uh, liking this or hating it or anything in between, we want to hear from you. Shoot us a message at, at uh, hello at stuffthatsreal.com. Of course, you can visit us online at stuffthatsreal.com on your favorite internet browser uh, device. And uh, we will be here waiting for you. We want to hear from you. So without further ado, once again, I am your host, Nick. And with my friend, Kevin, we are over and out. And we will see you next week. I stuff that's real. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.